Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number bonus. Bonus episode. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Bonus. Agent Bonus. Agent Bonus. So we got, for you guys, a fun one today. It's a Luke Cage bonus episode where we are talking to two of the stars of Marvel's Luke Cage, which is now streaming on Netflix what do we got? Oh man, we have this season's awesome, awesome baddie antagonist. Mr. Antagonist, yeah, we'll go with antagonist because villains are all heroes of their own story. Yeah. Mr. Mustafa Shakir, he plays Bushmaster, aka John MacGyver. Yeah, and we also have the amazing, astounding, and spectacular Alfre Woodard. Who one. plays Mariah Mariah Stokes, Stokes Dillard. Mariah Dillard, depending on where you are. We try not to get too spoilery. We really don't want to. If you guys do not want to be spoiled, well, you just got to watch the show. Marvel's Luke Cage is streaming now. Why are you, what are you what doing? What are you waiting for? This is the era of the binge. Just watch it. Gotta catch up, guys. Got into a bunch of different things with both of them. Oh, uh, that was, there's such an amazing moment in that Alfre Woodard interview, and I feel really honored that I got to witness it. We learned a lot about Mariah. We learned a lot about Alfre's motivations, playing Mariah. We had some girl talk about power, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. And then we got to touch on the rest of her unbelievable decades-long award-winning career. I got to sneak in a little personal note. made me really happy. And then the, we ended up finishing the episode with tears in our eyes, me and Alfrey. So that's cool. Look forward to that one. But also, Mustafa was dope. So uh, fun. Super cool. We got to talk about his, you know, like the fighting that he does and the yeah. training and growing up in Harlem when the show is set there, which yeah. was really neat. He is super local, and I was actually really excited to see Mustafa walking around my very own Crown Heights neighborhood <laughs> in, the, <laughs> like, in one of his first shots of the show when they were talking about um, going to Brooklyn. That, that's my neighborhood yeah. right there. So all of that, so much more. Check out this episode of This Week of Marvel. A little bit of bonus for you, spotlighting two of the stars of Marvel's Luke Cage, which is now streaming on Netflix. Mustafa Shakir, who plays Bushmaster on Marvel's Luke Cage season two. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Yeah? Yeah. So I, I heard through the grapevine that you, you're you a Marvel fan. You, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you get exposed and, and into the characters, the comics, the world? My brother. Remember, I had an older brother. He's about eight years older than me. He was like a big Spider-Man Hulk um, alpha flight, which was, I know, so obscure. And I, that was what I, I like latched on to first. I was like a big Alpha Flight fan. Um, still am. Who's your favorite Alpha Flight member? I mean, like, I know it's the twins. It should be, it should be, you know, vindicate. but like, no, it's not. It's the twins because I, I wanted to be a twin and like, <laughs> they were just cool. Like, it was like, you know, all-time buddy. That's, <laughs> you know? That, that That's great though because usually when I, if I ask that question, people go to Puck or they go to Sasquatch. It's right. like the little dude who flips around who's awesome or the giant monster like scientist dude. Right. Uh, I don't often hear the twins. It's great. Yeah, it was just cool. The outfits, I like them. Yeah. I know it's obscure people. Don't judge me. No. <laughs> this, this is way more legitimate. It's yeah. way more impressive. This is where you let that flag fly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, true. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I also heard that you uh, you dig Blade. Yeah. Yeah, you want to you play Blade? Yeah, I was like, because, you know, the whole thing is I wanted to play one of these characters, yeah. man. I was like, I was so pining. So playing Bushmaster is like a dream come true. But Blade, I was like, yeah, I could do that that character so much service. You know what I mean? Yeah. Justice as well. We have a, there's a great story that just finished up in the, the Falcon book where uh, Falcon 
he's like dating Misty Knight in that book. And uh, Blade comes in because there's vampires. And throughout like four issues, this is written by Rodney Barnes, who's this amazing writer who worked on Runaways. But uh, through like four issues, Blade just keeps hitting on Misty. <laughs> and Misty just does not have any part of it. She it's don't so, budge. Not at all. <laughs> She's like, what is this skeeve doing? Yeah. It's so good. She smell that vampire on that daywalker. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't yeah. cool. So from Harlem? From I was raised in Harlem. Raised yeah. in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a former barber? Yeah, well. yeah. So, all right, you've got that background. How did you feel about how they portrayed Pops in, in season one of Marvel's League? It was amazing and kind of surreal to watch it. You know what I mean? Like, the barbershop is just it's a staple in the community. But to, to be a barber and to, like, love the comics and all that stuff, it was just, like, you know, a smorgasbord for me, personally. What you has know? it been like playing a bad guy on your old stomping grounds? Super cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a phrase, it was really cool, man. It was like yeah. the greatest homecoming ever. Wow. You know? Did y'all shoot much in Harlem or was it a lot in on the like the sets and stuff like that? It was a good mix? Oh, it was a good mix. Yeah. It was a good mix. We yeah. Did you find yourself when you were shooting on location near anything that you remembered specifically? I mean, yeah, I've stomped all over Harlem. So we like I mean the church that we that that, that we use in there, I've been in that church. My dad wow. used to have a brownstone up that block. You know what I mean? So it was just like a lot of uh, I mean it's just it's Harlem. And it's not that big in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's cool, like, seeing those aspects and the community side of the neighborhood. Yeah, it definitely gives you that vibe. I mean, a lot of times it's a nostalgic view, but, like, you know, it definitely uh, brings me back home every time I watch it, yeah. you know? Was there a spot like Harlem's Paradise that you went to? Because that, that just seems like the most ideal, cool place to go and hang out and see music. And, like, especially in the show, the people that y'all bring in the show is just amazing yeah that would have been Linux Linux Lounge back in the days mm-hmm. you know what I mean but I came up in the tail end of Linux Lounge and um, the only equivalent was probably Broadway International which was um, 146th Street and uh, between Broadway and Amsterdam I mean I'm dating myself but that's the days of Kumo D and like you know uh, Curtis blowing all of that stuff and, and that was it was pretty lit like that yeah yeah that's awesome so speaking of Harlem's Paradise and Mariah how much did you watch the first season? And what do you think about the villains in the first season? How are you going to follow that up? How much I watched it? I watched the first season three times. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Um, first is that binge where you, you probably can't remember anything. And then you go through and fine tune. But I thought that, um, I mean, that it, that is done. That Luke Cage was done in, in, you know, in general was just amazing to watch. You know what I mean? And in terms of me and what I wanted to bring... I felt like I just have the, you have to show up to situations like that with a fresh brain with not too many, you know, preconceived notions about what you're going to do or who did what last time. Because I think it just, you know, if you think it, it goes across your eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just try to like, you know, keep myself out of that headspace and just try to create fresh. Yeah, because Bushmaster's really coming. He's his own man. He's yeah. his own operation. So yeah, it's a really good point that he's not really connected to these guys. Right. This is your own game now. <laughs> Yeah, essentially. When I when I, when I <laughs> yeah. talk about using Bushmaster, especially for this, is that like when I thought of Bushmaster, the there's we have two Bushmaster characters mm-hmm. in the comics, right. and one is a crazy snake dude, right? Quincy, and, and, yeah, yeah. He's he's got this thing, but it's it's his brother that you portray, and he's cool because it's almost like there's not as much history to him that you have to maybe worry about mm-hmm. you know he shows up in an amazing time period in like mm-hmm. 77 78 mm-hmm. chris claremont john byrne mm-hmm. amazing john like byrne. time period for them as a collaborative team in the comics and then in iron fist issues and then 
like I think it's even the last issue of that original Iron Fist run. When he, he shows up, up in that's what it's is. just like a quick spot. He's yeah. like smooching Misty. This is whole thing. There's <laughs> yeah. like cool spots for him. Uh, but yeah. he he has his run, and there's a bunch of he shows up a bunch more. But for you, it's almost like you have a lot that you can play with. Yeah. Was a lot of it like you looking at the comics, you talking to Cheo, you just saying, "Hey, this is what I want to do with the character." It was a combination. I mean, obviously, when I got it, I, you know, I just scoured every bit of information I could get to, you know, just get bits to put together for him. But then I remember having a conversation with Cheo to just sort of like streamline and, and go through what the what the season would look like. And in his explanations to me, I was like, well, are, is he going to deal with the Magia? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Is he going to Europe? And he's like, nah, forget about all that. <laughs> so I, I said, you know what? I'm just going to scrap all that stuff that yeah. I, I read. I mean, maybe keep it there in the back, you know, but just stay fresh for what is here. Because, you know, he's from St. Croix. He's not even Jamaican in the um, the comic book. So, yeah. And and it was a part of, like, m- what naturally came out of me. Che was like, keep that. It was a pretty simple process. You know, I just brought what I brought. He liked it, pointed to it. I kept doing it. So, you're bringing your own thing. Was it really fun to bring that into having super strength and super intelligence? Yeah. You yeah. know, to play myself is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that was not even stunts and not even mm. special effects. That's, that's just Mustafa. I mean, it was great to be able to, like, you know, add on. I mean, because you're creating a lexicon here, too. So, yeah. like, like, that's really dope that I'd be in Marvel Wiki, you know, and all of that. And so, yeah, ultimate, ultimate experience for me. So now you're, an even, you're evenly matched with Luke Cage, Power Man. Mm-hmm. Of all people, one of the strongest superheroes Marvel has to offer. What are Bushmaster's weaknesses? Like, what makes Bushmaster human? And I not think just sentimentality, um, which I think, you know, gets a lot of villains. Because it takes a lot of emotion to be, like, resentful. And, you know what I'm saying, keep that motivation alive day by day to, you know, pursue whatever ends you're pursuing. Yeah. But I think, like, yeah, if anything, um, he can, it, it might be an emotional component, you know. Um that place where you drive yourself to the edge and you don't realize it's the edge, I think he has that in him. And that is never good because the edge is the edge, you know? (laughs) (laughs) There's a way you say Stokes. Like when, you know, like someone says like Mariah Dillard in one of the episodes, you're like, Mariah Stokes. It's just venom and anger there. Like that's the emotion. I I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. there's good, there's lots of history and there's just like, He's here yeah. for a reason. <laughs> yeah. That's real good. Right. He's got a purpose for sure. Yeah. There's an early scene in the season where um, you get into a fight. And it seemed like there were some cool martial arts there. There was some fighting. Was that you doing it? Was it a stunt person? Like, did you do any training? Like, I, I did the majority of my stunts. Yeah. Um, nice. I, none of the flipping for <laughs> obvious reasons. I mean, I can flip, though. Um, it's wow. just... Uh, at, after 12 hours on set, I don't think you tell the actor who has got to do more scenes to like, you know, to backflip, you know. Yeah. But um, I did a, I did the majority of it. Um, there's a few tricks and some backflips that I didn't do for, you know, safety reasons. Was there any specific martial arts that you've practiced or trained in or is it just you being like super awesome dope? <laughs> well, it's both. No, 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 no. Um, I, I did. I did some Jeet Kune Do training. I had, I stepped into Capoeira for about a year. Because um, I thought um, I saw that, but I, yeah. you know, I, wanted, I didn't want to... Yeah, just talk out of line because they're seen played a lot of Tekken when I was younger. Okay, and one of the characters <laughs> used Capoeira, and I was. Right, like, I know the character you're you know talking, what I'm talking about. about yes, right? I do. And so like, and does a kind of break dancey. Yeah, is, is he the Brazilian dude? Is he Brazilian? He might be game? Brazilian, but he, like you know, I remember like before the match starts. He's, right, he does know, a little side to side Jenga. Yeah, he was so good. <laughs> like playing as him was such a fun time because he was so unpredictable for like the other people. You, right, you don't know which way he's gonna move. And I felt like I saw you do some of those moves, like, ah, oh, that's that's sick. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was definitely in there. I was moving. 
Can you talk a little bit about Bushmaster's relationship with other characters in the season? Particularly, I'm thinking like Luke and Nightshade in particular, because especially by the end of the season, the way he moves through his relationships with those characters and the way he's he ends the season. Mm-hmm. I find fascinating. I'll say with Luke. I mean, it starts off as a like, you know, I don't know this guy. All of a sudden, there's somebody who is around that can do the same things I can. So it's a little bit of like playground jealousy and a desire for one upman. But as I go on and I see what his motivations are and how he's you know, handling the community, I realize there's no way that I can hate this guy. And he's not far from, you know, um, his motivations are not far from the ones that I have. You know, he cares about the people. I mean, as much as as much beheading as as Bushmaster does, you know, there's a noble <laughs> conscious that in consciousness in there somewhere. Yeah. It's just a matter of him. Like like he says, it's like, you know, what's right and what's wrong. It, the world is is more complicated place. Yeah. There's know? like the team up part. I want that. I want more of that. I, I was I was into like, that. Right? I was like, into that. Yeah. Two of them, like you back to back. Yeah. I wanted that more. Me too. And then by Me the too. end they're like twelve? Uh, Twelve episode yeah. twelve is I my will... it's my it's not, it's my favorite for physicality yeah yeah but that scene specifically is so fun yeah, yeah. but I I really enjoyed how that how you guys sort of like you know go with each other and against each other throughout mm-hmm. the season especially by the end yeah uh, and you there's a lot to feel for Bushmaster and mm-hmm. he's a good Marvel villain is, yeah. is the ultimately what we want and what comes through and then Nightshade. Those last scenes with her, yeah. and like your last scene with her, yeah, real good, man. Yeah, it's really good. I, I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, you know his addiction to nightshade. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know she looks so innocent when she's like, he's gonna need this, and yada yada yada, and you just like in her her eyes are just like, I got him. Mm-hmm. This was really great. I'm glad you could come by. Yeah, me too. And uh, and yeah, I, I hope we see you again. Me too. Yeah, thanks for coming on this week of Marvel. Do. The mighty, the immortal, Alfred Wildred, how are you? A.K.A. Mariah Dillard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mariah oh, Dillard. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Who becomes Stokes Dillard before it's all over. Yeah. There's some, oof, I love some that. good <laughs> moments in Marvel's Luke Cage season two. And one of the things that I love about the show is, yes, it's Marvel's Luke Cage, but the show and, and what Cheo Hodari Coker has put together has really been able to create stories and arcs and characters that are so much bigger than you might expect from any show, any other show. They could have their own shows. Mariah could have her own show. So what is in store for Mariah in season two? Mariah has stepped into her legacy. She has taken control of the family business because somebody has to. She was bred to be outside of the world of the family business that Mama Mabel has created she got sent to the other room when things were getting, you know, bloody or illegal, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, she was sent to the other room. She was sent to the best schools. She was groomed to be in a different arena, to carry the name, the Stokes name, in a different arena. But with the death of uh, Cornell, she couldn't leave a void. And Shades reminds her of that. It's very dangerous to to leave (laughs) a void in a crime family. So with her business skills, her political know-how, she steps in and brings all that to bear. But she wants the family to go legitimate. 
She knows that power is in politics and power is in finance. So she is... uh, she wades into Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some uh, some wheelings and dealings that she does in season two. And there's a business deal that she gets involved in. And that's some intense stuff. And she's just so good, Mariah, as like business person manipulator. She knows how to move people around in just the right ways. Well, yeah. Is that manipulating or is that problem solving? Mm. Or charming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She solves problems. She's able to see how all, all the pieces connect. And the thing is, you really cannot be a powerful person in a capitalist society without stepping over lines. You have to decide which lines you're going to step over, how much collateral damage. But she is doing... The good work, she's good at it, but she cuts corners sometimes. She cuts <laughs> moral corners, and uh, but she is a she is a person that is fighting. She's fighting for the people of Harlem. She'll do anything for them, but that doesn't mean she isn't self-satisfying at the same time. I think you can have. That's the thing. We we control it in ourselves, and she is just unapologetic about it. Yeah, I was going to talk about the kind of dichotomy between Mariah the politician and Mariah the crime lord or a crime lady, I guess it should be. (laughs) What is it like for you to play both of those roles in the same woman? You know, I have been politically active since I was, I started walking precinct with my parents in Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was 10 years old. So I have always been around politics, involved in politics. At first, I was sort of you know, making the coffee and helping make the signs, which were usually protest signs mm-hmm. at that point. And uh, eventually, you know, they said, no, you read the statement. I, you know, I had some little role in a TV movie. and said, okay, no, you're going to read the statement now. So you're always, I have always been in that world. I stood outside the buildings in D.C. yelling for years. You know, I was born in that generation that was, we were trying to stop the war in Vietnam, you know, Medgar, Malcolm, Martin, Bobby, everybody. It was that point where the bubble burst, that thing that uh, that wouldn't happen, like the towers being hit. For us, it was that you could take a bullet and take out a person who was a leader. Yeah. And, and it was happening in America, so it was like, <gasps> and so... I, you know, I spent that time there. But then it was Ron Dellums, who was a congressman from Berkeley in Oakland, who said to change policy, you have to go inside. You got to talk to the people. You got to lobby them. You got to you have to affect legislation. And so all that to say, I have been involved in every campaign you can imagine. I think that's so visible in how you play Mariah as the councilwoman, too. I think her heart is absolutely in a good place as a politician. She wants to see that kind of change happening. But yeah, behind the scenes, there's some corners to be cut. But also, you start to say, what's the good that can come out of it? When you grow up as a person of color, decades ago in this country, there were laws that were not meant to protect you. Right. And there were laws you were left out of. There were laws put on the books that were meant to subjugate you. So there is kind of a tradition, uh, not a tradition, but a practical thing that, that developed of stepping outside that law. Do I obey an unjust law? So that all, I'm not saying everybody should just break the law, but it is not surprising that that Mariah grew up in Harlem. Her 
grandmother, Mama Mabel, was an assertive, smart, entrepreneurial woman who did not have access. And there were lots of unjust laws that they were living under. So it was not a big leap to step outside of the law, especially when it involved city fathers, the people that she entertained and was able to compromise. So there's all those lines are blurred about what is a right thing to do. Right. Um, so we decide about our ethics moment to moment. Hers, she will always go for what is good for her as well as what is good for the common good of Harlem. On that note, I think when you take it to a personal level, like in the first season, we saw Mariah reclaiming her agency when Cornell mouthed off. Mm-hmm. What you're saying, I, I'm not going to be polite now. I'm not going to put up with what you're saying. This is unjust and mm-hmm. this is not fair to me as a person or as a woman. And you put him down. <laughs> you took him. You took it back. And he touched a place that she had blocked off. So he hit, yeah. I won't even say a nerve, but he touched something that's like a, you know, an electrical shock to that. And it surprised her. I mean, we talked about this because I said to Chao, I said, <laughs> I can understand her going off. But if I have to walk all the way down the stairs, then it seems like she would have come to her senses a little bit. But in, anyway, he... She was being driven down yeah, the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> and the tragedy of that yeah. is that... She loved him dearly. That's what, when it gets like Greek and yeah. that kind of that blood thing that's happening. Yeah. She talks about helping raise him, right? And like the things that they went through and where they are now. And there's so many, the relationships that are explored in Marvel's Luke Cage are incredible. And, and those, the different dynamics and how they shift, especially in this season, we see Tilda. And then, you know, the relationship between Mariah and Tilda is in a very rough place in the beginning. And I was thinking about what you were talking about just a couple minutes ago, and her ethics, Mariah's ethics, and the way she sees the world, and the way Tilda sees the world. And Tilda, there was like similarities, and then like offshoots. And Tilda, she, she was not exposed to all these things. And she looks at them a certain way. But Mariah's like, No, but we did this because we had to. I do this for you. I do this for our community. And those conversations, it's really fascinating to watch, especially as it evolves. What is their arc like throughout the season? You know, Mariah does not know how to be a mother because she didn't have a mother. That mother figure was Mom Mabel, and that's who she models herself after. Mom Mabel, and we have to ask ourselves, which I asked Cheo, why didn't she terminate that expectancy? She did, you know, she did it a lot with her girls that she kept. But again, it's back to blood. Even as tainted as the situation was, that she would get Cornell to just, you know what, you have to go off Uncle Pete now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Pete, you got to go because of what you did. But that pregnancy was a Stokes. And so she wouldn't do that. I mean, that's how, you know, that's how deep it all goes. And so when we talk about Mariah stepping in the legacy, you step up to the plate when it's time for you to do that. But Tilda got taken away from her right out of the gate. So she doesn't have any sort of, to me, any way of knowing how to be. It's her publicist, her public relations person who says... Tilda could be useful here. It's not Mariah that went like, oh, I miss it. It's like, no. So when she realizes Tilda's there, Tilda has no street savvy. Tilda has no intellectual savvy. She does not, you know, Tilda's like, 
you know, her alleged father uh, to, it seems to me, and to Mariah. But she is not an alpha female. And that's, I think, all that Mariah can understand or respect is an alpha female. And uh, that's why I think... She and uh, Misty go at it just because, (laughs) you know, I I think she loves like tussling with Misty. But I agree. But Tilda's (laughs) there's like Tilda's somebody you don't want to be, you know, like if you got to throw down in the bar, it's like Tilda, please just sit down. Don't don't (laughs) try to help us. Yeah, don't try to help (laughs) us. But when she is with Tilda, she's using her. But I think she can be friends with Tilda if Tilda didn't start to complain and be judgmental. <laughs> I was thinking about the scene in the, the Shirley Chisholm complex, right? And, the, and when she's yeah. showing it to her and she, they're walking through and she's like, Mariah's so proud and so excited uh-huh. and, and there's a purity of what she's excited and, and doing. And Tilda's just that judgment. Yeah. Right just, it's just such a, it's a heartbreaking scene. It is. I think Mariah feels like, oh, I got I got a I got a little sister here. I know. I think she would be happy to bring her along, but they're just, they're made of different things. And um, I don't think she protects Tilda when she goes to the other room to talk to Shades. It's like, it's just business. If it's not one of your, your crew, then, you know, I'm not going to talk business in front of you. It's not like I, like Mariah's trying to protect her the way Mama Mabel protected uh, Mariah. Right. Yeah, because she... She wasn't able to protect her. Uh, we talk a little bit oh, about shades. Shades. Okay. shades. So that thing about that you were talking about family, mm-hmm. when, you, when you really look at it, everybody's gone. Mariah not only doted on Carnell, she really leaned on him. She might not, do, I don't want to know the details, but she knew Cornell would take care of business. Like business was always, always taken care of. Now she has no one like that. Any henchman, associate that she takes on, she'll have to trust her instincts whether to completely trust them. But Shades has been there since he was a kid. And when she he reminds her of that in season one about how Mama Mabel was always there for all of the young kids and how Mama Mabel corrected his daddy and told him, don't put your hands on that boy again. And he followed around, uh, Mariah says, you know, following around one of his little puppies or something. So, you know, when he probably came into puberty, there was the older sister Mariah there. Who knows how many dreams he had about that? (laughs) So, you know, you never kind of get over that infatuation. But for her, he is a business partner she can really trust because he's the closest thing. He is family. He's the family you choose. He chose that family. So it makes sense to me that Shades and Mariah get tight. Right. And especially when you're that trust and the danger and the fact that either of you can die at any moment and both of you might have to put somebody out any moment. Of course, that creates a a sexual electricity as well. Decisiveness is very attractive. (laughs) So I I think, yeah, that's what makes them a pretty good match is they're both really ready to just do what has to be done. Exactly. Yeah. No time wasted. They can... And yeah. they can get down to business yeah. in any direction that they desire. They <laughs> yeah. can have a nice cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, there's also some shiftiness to shades, you know, obviously. Any man who wears sunglasses at night. <laughs> and, right, any time of the day. Any time of the day. <laughs> Uh, and the they sh- do in California. Stop it. <laughs> Callie, we wear sunglasses in the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love what you, you know, talking about 
family and the family you choose, the family you make. There's a lot more to family than, than you you think about when you're a kid and you grow older. And family is so it's so important and it's so different for everyone, mm-hmm. right? And and the the idea of family in this season is really interesting to me. Oh yeah, and Luke and mm-hmm. and his, his dad. dad. Oh. oh. Well, all yeah, those, everybody. Yeah, the, the sermons and and, and mm-hmm. those pieces of the of of those episodes and the family that Hernan and Comanche make in prison. I mean, there's you make families. It is that place where you are at home. You decide to be at home together rather than DNA. Yep. Yeah, but at the same time, families can also have their dark corners because. Nothing can set you off like a person that you love. Yeah. That's where the passions really run hot. Yeah. For a superhero show, you know, you think of superheroes and, you know, buildings and all the stuff and like a strong dude. It's so emotionally charged. Every episode. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. I love a villain who has all these really human, vulnerable qualities and watching Mariah ascend to power and reclaim so many things in the first season and now she's at the top in the second season how does that feel for you do you think there's any shakiness there do you think she's really she's solid well heavy is the head that wears the crown Mm -hmm. so when shade says to her he recognizes the ability the core that she has before she does. And he kind of talks her into that and, and walks her into her ability to do that. And it's not the ability intellectually. It's like, right. no, you can do this. And when she goes up to Cologne's gym, she has all of that in her, the, the, that vein that is running through her, but it keeps sputtering a little. And so, again, he's there to say, this is it. Right in season two, before she's going to figuring out which family she's going to sell the, the guns to, the whole gun business, you know, he's prepping her again. So I think there is vulnerability, which is something that pulls us into her and we can like her because she goes, OK, now, now what? She's decisive and she can do it. She can take care of business. She can call the shots. She can say goodbye. (laughs) But she also sometimes, like, Mom Mabel comes there. She's a teenager again. And she keeps turning over pictures. So I think once she steps in, she is not afraid of power. And people that wield power well are not afraid of it. And, you know, that's one of the things I like about her. Because the thing is, once you make certain steps, you can't take them back. Right. So it's, you know, you have to go all in. And I I love that we get to see a woman do that, even if it's nefarious deeds, whatever. Because, you know, usually the cultures think of women as hesitating, as, oh, you know, t- you know changing their mind, taking it back. It's like, no. We're going all the way in this. And and I, I don't think she ever abuses her power. <laughs> <laughs> and even when she's, like, pushed into a corner, you know, it's a, it's like a dance. She's like, oh, she's pushed into a corner. She spins it around. She's yeah. able to 
take control of a situation. She takes so, the yeah. lead. Yeah, she's, and I don't, she's in charge know, of that tango. Luke, Luke is, he's got the problem. <laughs> she likes Luke. She keeps trying to give me this. Come on, Luke. We can you with your bulletproof strength and my steeliness and my intelligence. They could. You I mean, can get he so much ag- done. He, he again. <laughs> Just judgmental, and but he's got to be because he's got to be clean. <laughs> he's a superhero. A lot of this, my mom, she's a she's a president of a company. She raised me by herself, so like, I, there's very different, a lot of differences between Mariah <laughs> and my mom. But I, you know, like watching the show, maybe just think of like the choices a woman has to make in dealing with everything coming at her at all times, and mm-hmm. to getting to a place of power is just. It's tough and it's, you know, to get there and to hold that is incredible. Holding it is tough because because people see you and think, you know, whether it's your office mates, they're going to keep taking the pot shots even when they like you because somehow in their mind they don't think you should be there. They think, you know, well, I, I should be there. You know, I, I could take care of business. And so uh, it is even tougher to hold that, to hold the hill once you get there. Yeah. I can understand this very, very well. Go <laughs> on, girl. Yeah, I I think the reason I love Mariah so much is just as a woman, there are so many expectations on us to be passive and be agreeable. And no, we're being aggressive now. And or I think, assertive even. Or yeah. assertive and in charge. And I think that's why I like watching Mariah so much. It's like, that's inspiring to me. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't want to be quiet. <laughs> you're, you're a young woman. And so hopefully the women around you walk through the beginnings of the, the feminist drive with, you know, that, that I experienced. And so you you were coming up in a different world. But when I was coming up across cultures, and especially in the South, two, three years old, be nice. Be come on. Be nice. Don't feel like that. Oh, come on. Don't feel like that. It was always, if, you know, if a boy hit you, did something, it, he's just playing. Don't he feel likes like you. that. And so we, we, we uh, were trained out of. We got our fires put out and our yeah. lights dimmed as uh, as the the way that you move through the world to be successful. And you know, meanwhile. You know, Jeremy is like tearing down the house and nobody says sit down too much. And I remember, especially in school, I remember seventh grade. God, I can't believe this. <laughs> when sixth grade, fifth and sixth grade, if you knew the question, oh, 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 me, oh, I know, I know, everybody's doing that. Seventh grade, a male teacher, Miss Woodard, calm down, Miss 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 Woodard. Meanwhile, Mr. All the Others, and I'm not going to say their names because everybody is still my friend. You know, they get. So, you know what I did? I whispered the answer to the guy in front of me, and then he he says the answer. And he goes, "Very good, Mister." And so it's sort of like, okay, if I can't be the power, I can control the power. As long as that person knows that I, you know, that I got power, I'm good. This is strange. Strangely <laughs> coming back to Mariah is because yeah. she, season one, she wants to control the power. She's trying to get uh, Cottonmouth to go legit. She's trying to get Luke to work with her. And by season two, she is the power. 
Uh, I wish we could do this more, but we've got to wrap up. No. One last thing I have to say, and this, so I watch Scrooged every year at Christmas Eve. I'm always in tears at the end of it. Uh, it's such an important movie, and I so I see you every year around Christmas, and the story arc for your family in that movie re- really means a lot to me, and everything that goes on. I just want to say thank you for being a part of one of my favorite movies, a part of every year for me that I watch, and thank you for coming here, for being part of This Week at Marvel with Jamie and I. It's been awesome. It's been really thank special. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to think about you at Christmas, dude. I, I really am. Oh, I'm going to think about you. That meant a lot to me. Thank you, Alfrey, for being on This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe.